I'm going to be using a bunch of different scriptures throughout my sermon. But we will launch from Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 13. Familiar story, the story of the prodigal son. And I'm only going to read just a few lines here. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to feed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Famine has little effect on us today. Even as recent as 50 years ago, famine might have had more impact. But with refrigeration and transportation the way it is, we are not affected very much by crop growth. Perhaps the crops that are in Giant Eagle come from a different place because of a famine, but it doesn't affect us very much. This was not true throughout most of world history. Throughout most of world history, if there was any kind of famine, any kind of food shortage, it was a crisis. A crisis for the whole community. No crops even for a season. Even if it was very local in a small area, would impact a great many people. No grains meant no bread. No bread meant on many days no food. No grains, no local crops meant you couldn't trade with other areas for their crops. In fact, the Hebrew word for famine that that we see read as famine in the scriptures really just means hunger. When it says there was a famine in the land, it means there was a hunger in the land. Because if, if there was a famine, that meant everybody was going hungry. Oh, Uh, It can happen for many reasons. Famine for no rain. Famine for too much rain. If your crops flooded out or if the local water reserve flooded, then your crops would be done. Mildew. Hail that broke your crops once it started to grow. Locusts and other insects. Even war. It was very common if you were battling someone to come in and destroy their crops. Either to plant false crops in the midst of all their good crops to make it a lot more work or to just destroy their plants. I don't know if you remember the story, but there's a story when Samson is uh, dealing with the Philistines, and he caught a bunch of foxes and tied their tails together and then set the tails on fire and sent them off into the crops. That would have been devastating for the community. It was very often in war that famines were imposed on people by the opposing army. In fact... We are so far removed now from agricultural society, we have trouble getting a grasp of this. But in the ancient times, they used to worship gods that they said. No matter where you go, you typically find gods of the sun and gods of the weather. Because the ancient people would notice that their lives were totally dependent on what this weather would do. And so they would even assume the gods were up in the skies. And they would go up to high places to worship these gods. And they would burn sacrifices so that the smoke would drift up to them. I mean, famine 
and agricultural needs was such a big deal that ancient peoples devised their religious systems around that need. So when we talk about famine, it's a big deal. And it should be no surprise that in the scriptures, famine is, is a major part of a number of stories. In fact, most of the fathers in the, of the early Hebrew fathers faced famine. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on seven quickly here this morning. There's a story of Isaac in Genesis 26. He's now in the promised land. He's older. Everybody remember he was not sacrificed, but got spared at the very end with his father Abraham. Um, and he's in the promised land. And the story just sort of recounts that a famine happened. Like, okay, it was a common occurrence. I understand that. But amazing that it happens in the promised land. You would think if you were in the place God has you, this, the promised land where God would bless you, that there wouldn't be famine there. But no, the text just recounts there's famine. The Bible's understanding is that all have sinned, and because of the consequences of our sin, and because we live in a fallen world, we get effects like famine. Do you recall the story of Joseph? Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. He ends up in jail, but he ends up interpreting a dream for the king that says that there is going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And therefore, Joseph is put in charge of preparing for the years of famine. In fact, when his brothers and his father are struggling because of the famine is is all the way in Israel, they travel to Egypt to barter for food. And therefore, when Joseph is leading the food, the food drive, when he's leading this effort to protect the people of Egypt, he ends up saving his own family. He says at the end of that story, what, what, you, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. Wealth was often associated with famine. Because if you were in an area that had a famine, it was often local, so you could go to another area, but you pretty much had to do or had to pay whatever they told you you had to, to survive. And so very often people would have to travel because of famine. This is how Naomi and her husband end up in the land of Moab. They have to leave Israel because of a famine. They go to Moab and her sons marry. And remember, one of her sons married Ruth. Ruth ends up saving Naomi. She ends up being the one person after all of the rest of the family has died that is willing to stick with Naomi and ends up really saving her. And so in this situation, God seems to use famine to get this family into the right place. What about the book of Job? Famine is a common theme in Job as his his crops are lost, as his animals begin to die. And his friends start to ask him to question God. This wasn't what the ancients used to do. I mean, if you have a famine, the gods must be looking at you unfavorably. You must have done something wrong. But Job's answer is no. God is God and God can do what he wants. Here the Bible seems to suggest that famine is sometimes God's prerogative. What God wants to do for a larger purpose. This differs a little bit from famine in the prophets. The prophets, particularly uh, Amos 
Jeremiah and Isaiah all talk about famine being presented to Israel and to the nations around them as judgment. They say it in different ways, but their understanding is that because you have rejected God, God is going to bring famine so that you are once again totally dependent on Him so that you're going to be hungry and thirsty, but you're going to once again be hungry and thirsty for God. In fact, being hungry and thirsty for God is a major theme in Scripture. What about this great text of the prodigal son that Jesus tells and is recounted in Luke 15? This prodigal son gets all his property from his father, leaves and goes to another land and squanders it all. And what happens there? A famine. And so now having nothing, he's forced to be at the mercy of whatever anyone asks him to do. And he ends up feeding pigs, which for a Jew would have been a terrible, dirty job, would have made you unclean so that you really could not go to the temple. And he's so hungry that he wishes to eat from the pods that the pigs are eating. Here, famine is used to bring this son to his senses, to come back to himself, as the text says. In the book of Acts, there's a major famine. Happens in Jerusalem. As the early church is spreading, Paul is on his missionary journeys. The the head of the church, the, the kind of core group, is still back in Jerusalem. And a famine hits, and the Christians that are there are really struggling. And Paul makes this huge effort to try to make collections for all these people in all these different places that he's going to say, we ought to raise money to send money back for those Christians in Jerusalem that are under famine. In Acts, famine is an opportunity to serve. I mean, we we could go on and on, but think about all the diverse ways that the Scripture uses famine, that God seems to use famine. Famine for Isaac is a normal part of life. Famine meant for good in Joseph's time. Famine meant to move people to the right place in Ruth's situation. Famine as God's prerogative in Job. Famine as punishment in the prophets. Famine as a call to come to your senses in the parable of the prodigal son. Famine as opportunity to serve in the book of Acts. All these different ways that famine is portrayed. Have you ever been through a famine? Probably not really. You may not have had plants grow well in your garden for a season. But it probably didn't devastate you like a famine would. But have you ever been through a spiritual famine? Where God seems distant and you wonder if God might be punishing you? When your faith seems to fail you and your hope is gone? Where church feels like going through the motions? Or it feels so counter to your heart that you sleep in and that you don't even go? I wonder if that might be the case for a few who are not here this morning. Have you ever been through a relational famine where you have a crushing loss in your life or where you feel like you've had a person or a group out to get you or you felt so alone or you've had a dry spell in your marriage or experienced the crushing blow of a prodigal child? Have you ever had a personal famine where you did not know who you were or what you cared about or believed in anymore, where you lost your passion for your work, where you became depressed or so stressed you feel it in your stomach like hunger pains. 
Have you ever been through a financial famine where you're not sure where you're going to get your basic needs met? Where you've hungered for something you feel like you need, but you just never seem to afford it? Sure you have. We all have. And our problem with famine is, I think there's actually two problems that most of us have with famines. First of all, we would like life to be fair. I'm convinced that a lot of Christians have fundamentally bought into a kind of a Christian karma. Like if I'm good, life ought to give me good stuff. And if I'm bad, life ought to give me bad stuff. And then we get frustrated when life, when we seem to be doing okay and life seems to keep piling it on. Or when we're not, when we see someone who's a jerk and yet everything seems to go right for them. We sort of bought into this Christian version of karma. Or we think God owes us an explanation. We want to know why we're going through. We want to understand our pain and make some sense of it. But you know, the Bible doesn't seem to care at all about our view of karma. Rain and sun fall on the just and the unjust alike, Jesus says. And the book of Ecclesiastes comes back to this unfairness of life again and again and again. The Bible doesn't seem to care about our idea of fair. The Bible doesn't seem to care whether we understand what's going on or not. Job never really receives much of an answer in his book. God promises to be with us, but He never promises that we will understand the famines that we face. The Bible seems to care about one thing. He seems to come back to one theme, and it is this. Do you trust God or not? Do you trust God or not? I'm convinced that many of us play Christianity. We sample it, but we've never really paid the price to buy in. Weird example to try to help you understand this. My family really likes going to the mall and going to the food court. It's like a great compromise because everybody can get what they want. And then we can sit, we can walk around. It's just a fun place that we like to go. And, and have you ever been to the mall and you see the people giving out the samples? You get the toothpick and you can get the California ranch sandwich always at the mall. And the Chinese place will give it to you. If you go to a big mall, you don't even have to buy food. You can just walk around and get samples. You just end up with a pocket full of toothpicks at the end. I love the people that walk around to get samples, but they're not really considering buying, but they pretend. Have you ever seen this dynamic happen? Ooh, that is good. I might purchase that. And then they move on to the next one, kind of deceiving themselves. Because they're not really buying, they're just sampling. I am convinced that many Christians sample Christianity. I'll try a piece of that. I'll try a piece of that. I don't believe in that piece, but I will believe in this piece. And we end up sampling Christianity. Many Christians walk around with a pocket full of toothpicks, but no real substance to their faith. And then when famine comes along, they have nothing to fall back on. Nothing really there. And I can't tell you how many people that I have gotten to walk through difficult times with that struggle because they didn't work on their faith and they didn't totally buy in. And now that famine has come, now that the safety net is gone, they don't know what to do with themselves. It's counter, counter to our nature to trust God like this. It's part of sin that we want to rely on ourselves, that we want to be God. But that is exactly what the Bible calls us to do. You say it's harder to trust God when it's in a famine. My argument is that you can only really trust God when it's a famine. You only really rely on God when there's no safety net. 
It's not really trust when you don't have to lean. It's not really faith when you don't have to leap. I think this is why God uses famine so often in our lives and in so many different ways. And whatever the reason, and again, God gives us many. Famine is a normal part of life, meant for good, judgment, to move us to different locations. Famine, to call us to our senses or to call us to serve. Whatever the reason, God never promises that you are going to know, but think about it. Every single one of these reasons for famine, the answer is always the same. To trust God. Do you trust God when famines come as a regular part of life? Is it some kind of judgment for something you've done? Well, learn to trust God and get over that thing. Is it God leading you? God moving you to the right place? Then trust God to lead. Is it God calling you to come to your senses? Then trust Him and come to your senses. It doesn't matter the reason. That's what we as Christians always want. We want the reason for our famines. It doesn't matter the reason. The answer is trust. Do you trust Him? Listen to this amazing sentence by a guy named Matt Chandler. He's a pastor that I listen to who had a massive brain tumor in the front of his head. And uh, they gave him about six months to live. This was about four years ago now. Um, Amazing, amazing pastor. Great on ideas of suffering and loss. This is what he said when he told his church that he was going to have to go through all these treatments and that it didn't look good. He said this, Nothing comes into our life that doesn't pass through the hands of God first. And all the days that we have are clearly marked out. What an amazing statement. Nothing comes into our lives that does not pass through the hands of God first. As Christians, we are called to trust. And even a step further, we are called to watch out for those who are in famine around us and to provide help and support. Today I want to tell you that you can trust Him. You can trust God Because you are never going to go through a famine that Jesus has not gone through. Abandoned by his friends, betrayed by a friend, falsely accused, weeping at the loss of a friend, perhaps even his earthly father, the anxiety of a coming death, feeling forsaken by God, the agony of the cross. There's nothing you're going to go through that Jesus doesn't look at you going through the famine and say, I know. And you can find comfort That Jesus does not just do all this to save us, but that the Greek word for save is also the word that we get the word salve from. That God gives us Jesus not just to save us, but to heal us as a soothing ointment. I want to leave you with this passage from Job chapter 5, starting in verse 18. Amazing testimony from Job. For he wounds, God wounds. But he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. He will deliver you from six troubles, even in seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he will redeem you from death, and in war, from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the last of the tongue, the, the lash of the tongue, and shall not fear destruction when it comes. At destruction and famine, you shall laugh. You shall not fear the beasts of the earth. You can trust Him.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, I know standing up here that there are many in our church going through a lot. We have all felt famine and many of us are feeling it now. Help us to trust you. Help us to release our need to make sense and just simply like a child, throw ourselves into your arms. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.